I have not had any coffee, I promise, but I am talking uh, very fast. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, so if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and open with me to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to be there this morning starting in verse 17. Exodus 13, uh, starting in verse 17. Uh, men, real quick, while you're turning there, I mentioned this last week. I want to be sure that I uh, get everyone, though, with this announcement. On August 26th and 27th, we are having the Carolina Men's Conference at our downtown campus, okay? Uh, let me say it to you this way. Men, if you are in town and you do not have a prior obligation that is of the highest priority, okay, uh, and you are not at this conference, okay, I will exercise church discipline on you, all right? Like, we will find a way, like, the, it was in the bylaws that you didn't show up to the men's church, church uh, the men's conference. Now I have to revoke your membership, all right? Please come to this men's conference. It's going to uh, be a good weekend for our men, so go ahead and pencil that in. Uh, while you're turning to Exodus 13, uh, starting in verse 17, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive right in this morning, okay? Pray with me. Lord, uh, I just pray right now for uh, the strength and the grace to preach uh, this message uh, one more time. Uh, Lord, if I can be honest, this has just been uh, a taxing thing to do uh, twice, and to do one more time, I just pray for strength, uh, for your grace just to be uh, made manifest in this place. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for the people in this room. Lord, as I look out, I, I see people uh, who need to be comforted by your grace. I see people who need to be challenged by your lordship. Uh, dear Lord, I have been a little bit of both this week, so I pray that you would, uh, just by the power of the Holy Spirit and the clarity of your words, now do that in among your people. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are going to be in Exodus 13, starting in verse 17, and we will move today all the way through Exodus 14, the end of the chapter, where we're going to be looking at the people's exit from Egypt and the Red Sea crossing. Now, if you'll remember, if you've been here, we've been preaching through the book of Exodus, and last week uh, we ended with the tenth and final plague of God on the land of Egypt, which was the Passover, right? God uh, came down and exercised his judgment in Egypt. We talked a little bit about how... Now, uh, this is, there's a lot of similarity between, uh, or a lot of theological truth in the Johnny Cash song, The Man Comes Around, right? Because there comes a time when God execute, ju executes judgment on this world to make all that is wrong right. And that is what God did in the Passover. Now, it is with the Passover and the subsequent rescue of the people of, uh, of Israel that with the bodies piled high and destruction being laid in Egypt, the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt come to the people of Israel and they literally beg the people of Israel to leave. Get out of here. Take with you all the gold, all the riches that you want. Just please get out of here because if we do not let you go, God is going to kill all of us. Please leave. And so that is where we pick up as in Exodus 13, starting in verse 17, the people of Israel make their exit from the land of Egypt. Now, the passage that we're dealing with today serves as an illustration and reminder of how God cares for his people that he has saved. Okay, uh, This is important uh, for, for those of us in the room to kind of deal with and grapple with because oftentimes... Christians get caught up not with how God cares about us, but with what we must do for God, okay? We start thinking about, 
Uh, all the activity that we have to do for God, like what can I do to make God happy? What can I do to serve God? What can I do to honor God with my life? And listen, those aren't bad things. We should think that way. But what we have to understand is that primarily the Christian life is not about what we do for God, but about what God does for us and how God cares for us. So if you are a Christian today, what we're going to be looking at in Exodus 13, starting in verse 17, is how God cares for you. I'm going to say it again. How God cares for you. To kind of set the tone for the message, let me just start by asking this question. And let me, let me say, I asked this question to you guys because I have been unable to escape this question this week. As I have, uh, you know, we do our all our best thinking in the shower. As I have showered, as I have taken care of sick children, as I have driven down the road, as I have worked out, this question has been repetitively in my mind. I cannot get, by, get away from it, and, I, and so I want to put it before you. Here's the question. How would your life be different if you believed that God cares for you? How would your life be different if you honestly believe? And listen, I'm not talking about vacation Bible school believe where you know it to be true, but you don't really believe it here. I'm talking about if you believe this with every fiber of your being, how would your life be different if you believe that God cares for you? What kind of confidence would you face the world with if you believed that there was a God of the universe who cared about you? What fears that you live, do you live with on a daily basis? He's just, he's just praying, y'all leave him alone. What fears do you live with on a daily basis that would cease to be a factor if you believed that God cared about you? What problems do you currently face in your life that, that only God can handle would cease to be problems if you live depending on a God who cared about you? How would your life be different if you believe God cared for you? Now, the reason why I think I've struggled with this question so much uh, all week long is that if I can just be honest with you and transparent, I am not a person who is wired for dependency. Right? I, I am man through and through when it comes to this, right? I, 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 don't, I don't need anybody. I, I, I'm self-sufficient. I can take care of myself. As a matter of fact, in my um, more sinful moments, right, in my flesh, I would say to you that one of the things I am most proud of in my life is that by and large, me and my wife have gotten to where we are in life because we worked hard to be here, right? Now, that's stupid. That's a stupid mindset. No one gets there they are by the sweat of their brow and pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. We are where we are by the grace of God. But I, I'm just kind of throwing this before you that to live depending on a God who cares about me is not how I'm wired. How I'm wired naturally is to say, well, God may care about me, but I don't trust him enough to take care of me. And what we're going to see today is that God does not intend for us to live like this. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes, the bottom line I want you to see is simply this. God has a special interest in caring for, guiding, shaping, and saving his people. If you are like me, the kind of person who says, I'll take care of it, I can handle it, I'm going to get through life by the sweat of my brow and pulling myself up by the bootstrap. Listen, this message today is for you. And if you find yourself going through hard times and struggling and don't know how you're going to make it through life, 
this message is for you. So you know what that means? That's two camps. That's everybody in here. This message is for everybody. God has a special interest in you. Do you believe that? God has a special interest in you. Hear the word of the Lord. Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. Here's what Scripture says. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Let's, let's real quick uh, kind of put some context to what we're reading. If God, when God, when God was leading the people out of, out of Egypt, the most logical route that he could have sent the people of, e of Israel on was to send them north out of Egypt toward the Mediterranean Sea, which would have served as a straight shot into the Promised Land. Instead, what we find is that he doesn't lead them north. He leads them south toward the Red Sea. Now, there, this is completely unreasonable, uh, a completely unreasonable path, and we'll talk about why in just a second. But just know, he doesn't send them north. He sends them south. Verse 19, Moses took the bones, no, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up the bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham and on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night the pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. All right, contextually, what are we reading? That the people of Israel, that though they left and went south instead of north, they didn't have to really question the path. All right, because here's what we know, and we really believe this actually happened. All right, this isn't a figure of speech. But that as the people of Israel were, le were leaving, they probably huddled up the leaders among themselves and said, okay, what's the best way out of Egypt? What road should we take? All right, and you can just picture all the Israelite dads saying, man, I traveled this road, it's pretty good. And, and as they were having this conversation, one of them probably said, hey, we should go north, that's the quickest route. And another one probably said, no, let's go south and take the more indirect route. And in the midst of this conversation, conversation where they were trying to decide what route somebody probably looked up in the sky and said guys i got an idea let's follow the giant cloud of fire that's trying to lead us so they didn't have to question which way they were going god himself led them with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud of smoke by day so that he guided their path verse 14 or chapter 14 verse 1 then the lord said to moses tell the people of israel to turn back listen that's a key phrase Turn back and camp at in front of Pi-Hahithroth, all right? You don't know if I said that right. Guess what? I don't either, okay? <laughs> Between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Sephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So let's, let's kind of put together what's happening before we kind of dive in here. That the people are going out on the southbound route, right? And they're following this cloud of fire. But as they, they're going southward, God says, hey, turn back and encamp here. And then as you leave, encamp here. So that there are probably Egyptian observers watching the people. And as they're watching the people, it starts to appear to the people who are observing, and especially to Pharaoh, these people are lost, right? They're turning south and north. They don't know which way they're going. And so Pharaoh starts to think to himself, 
listen, I think we can go get them back. All right? So that's what we see as the story starts. Now, the first thing I want you to see today is this. Because God cares for us, we're talking about how God has a special interest in each and every one of us. Because God cares for us, God's path doesn't always make sense. If you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to notice is this. God's path doesn't always make sense. As God leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, Scripture tells us that he leads them on an awkward path. And if God was interested here in leading the people of Israel out on the most convenient way, he would have led them up, he would have led them north out of Egypt to the well-established route called the Via Maris, which literally means way of the sea. Now, if God would have led the people of Israel out on this land, out on this route, what would have happened is they would have had a direct shot into the promised land, and instead of it taking them 40 years to get into the promised land, they would have made it in about two weeks but for some reason god doesn't let the people go north instead he directs them to go south the problem is that egypt's northern border was heavily fortified militarily and beyond egypt's northern border the philistines were in control and, and now the philistines in this time period were uh were real take no prisoners kind of chaps they were people who were eager to go and fight okay and so here's what god knows that if israel takes the northern route and goes up into the land of the philistines that it would have it would have meant immediate warfare for the people of israel and god knows that the people of Israel are not yet ready for that. They are weak and they are afraid, and if they immediately have to fight, they would have just turned around and went back to Egypt and said, well, this is better than all of us fighting and dying. So God turns them in a different direction. And I love, the, I love how script, Scripture kind of sets this up humorously because it's almost like they think they're ready for it, right? You notice what Scripture says, that they walked out of Egypt and they, they walked uh, ready for battle? It says this in like verse 19, that they walked ready for war. Any of you parents, you ever had a kid who thought they were ready for something and you were looking and you were like, you just ain't ready yet, Captain, right? That's what God's doing here. God's saying, hey, y'all think y'all are ready for battle, but we're going to go south, not north, because you're not ready. Now, here's what we have to understand. The path of God in this situation makes no sense. It's completely uh, crazy that God would send them on this path. And I, I want to make some connection here between the people of Israel and, and, and our own personal lives. Because just like the people of Israel find themselves on a path that makes no sense, if we're honest, and if, as we walk with the Lord, as we go through life, as we ask God to lead our paths, there are times when God leads us down paths that if we're honest with ourselves and honest with God, make no sense to us. And the same is true for the people of Israel in this situation. They're following this pillar of fire. They're following this cloud of smoke. And they're saying, God, why are you bringing us this direction? The path of God makes no sense, but it does highlight something for us about God. God, in this moment, is compassionate and works for his people's good. I want you to see what God's doing here. God is going out of his way. He's going to great lengths to do his people good. He knows what's best for them. And this serves as a reminder that when God works for his people, that is when God works for Israel and when God works for us right now as Christians, God does not work in ways that are arbitrary. 
Can I say that there are a lot of times in our lives when things don't go like we think they should and we begin to look at what God's doing in the world, doing in our lives and directing our paths and we think God's just randomly throwing some noodles on the wall with our circumstances, just messing with our lives. Here's what Scripture's trying to show us, that that's not how God works. He doesn't do anything randomly. He does it for our good. Or, or worse, we don't think God's arbitrary. There are times when things don't go according to our plan, and if we're honest, we begin to think that God's cruel. And he, what we see here is that God is neither arbitrary or cruel. This is an important reminder because oftentimes we have a wrong-minded view when the circumstances in our lives and our past don't go the way they should. For example, Things go a little sideways in our life. We experience some kind of pain or some kind of loss or some kind of suffering or some kind of setback. And we begin to think that God is just randomly throwing out circumstances or worse, God's being cruel to us. And we begin to think things like this. What are you doing up there, God? We begin to think things like, God, you must have forgotten about me. We begin to think things like, well, God just must have fell asleep on the job today because look what's become of my life. Or worse, we think God's cruel to us and we look to him as if he were cruel and inhumane and we say, God, how could you let something like this happen to me? Now, I want you to understand that that is not the right mindset that we should have, but it is the normal response to when our past don't go right. It's sinful. For when things don't go just the way we think they should, for us to get mad at God, I want you to understand, that's a sinful response that, that has a little faith, right? It's not a big faith that gets mad at God. But what I want you to see is it's the normal response. It's how people respond to God when God doesn't do what we think he should. You know how I know it's the normal response? Look at what the people of Israel did when things didn't go the way they thought it should. Look at Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 and 12. Notice what's happened here. Pharaoh's caught up with the people of Israel at the Red Sea. And at this moment, think about what all God has already done for Israel. He's saved them. He's delivered them. He's guiding their presence, right, with a whole cloud of fire and a cloud of smoke, right? You would think they would kind of get the picture. But the moment that Pharaoh catches up to them at the Red Sea, notice what happens in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. What do we see? The normal response when God doesn't do what we think he should do. God, are you falling asleep up there? God, what are you doing? Look at what, what he says in verse, verse 11. And they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt? that you have taken us to die, away in the wilderness to die? Is this not what we said to you would happen when we were still in Egypt? They are crying. Because this is the normal response when God doesn't do what we think he should. But this story serves as a reminder that no matter how we feel, God is still working for our good. Can I tell you this morning, if you're here and you find yourself in circumstances where you would say, God, it does not feel like you are aiming to do me good in this moment. Can I just be really transparent to you and say, and, and say 
my family finds themselves in, in, in this season right now. And listen, I don't know how long this season lasts. I don't know whether it, it, it's a, a straight path out or, or, or things get easier or they get harder. But my family finds itself in a situation where if we're honest, we would say, God, it doesn't feel like you're doing us good right now. This story is a reminder that even when we feel like God is not trying to do us good, when God works, he works for our good. Now, let me add one important qualification to this. That does not mean that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Has anybody ever heard this saying, listen, I know times are hard, but God won't give you more than you can handle. That's stupid. God routinely in life gives you more than you can handle. As a matter of fact, notice that the people of Israel right here are given far more than they can handle. Yes, God spared the people war, but he put them in a situation where they faced certain destruction. So as they were between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, I'm sure what they were thinking is, oh God, thank you so much for sparing us war and bringing us to face certain death. Can I tell you, they had more than they could handle. Here's what we begin to see. That God's doing something for on purpose here. God directs us into hard paths so that he can shape our souls. God gives us more than we can handle. And he does it for our good. He puts us in situations that are best for us. He's working for our good. But he puts us in situations, difficult paths, that are more than we can handle so that he can begin to shape our souls. I want you to understand something, okay? It is not on the good days that you typically learn a whole lot about following God. When everything is smooth and you and your wife, you're not arguing and there's enough money in the bank and your kids are behaving and they're sitting down at the dinner table and saying, teach us the word of the Lord. Listen, that's not an opportunity to learn how to follow God. It's when exactly the opposite's happening. It's when everything's falling apart. Now get this, God did not want the people to fight. He wanted, to, he wanted the people to see that God fights for them. See, what God's doing here is putting them in a situation to, to shape them and form them into people who will trust Him no matter how hard the situation is. He didn't want them to go, go into battle and say, look at how strong we are. What He wanted was to put them in a situation to say, no matter how bad the situation is, look how strong my God is. See, God doesn't want you to fight. God wants you to have the faith to take a step forward in obedience. So if you are here today and you find yourself in a situation that is too much, more than you can handle, that's probably true. But I want you to know that God is using these circumstances to shape you and to show you that he fights for you. Which brings me to my second point. God's presence will always guide us. So we see the good news that God's path doesn't always have to make sense. The second thing I want you to see is that God's presence will always guide us, even if these paths don't make a whole lot of sense. You see, this story serves as a reminder that God never leads us to make it on our own in life. You see, we've got to kind of connect the dots here. We're told that God led the people by a pillar of fire 
by day, uh, by night, and a cloud of fire, a cloud of smoke by day. And we're told that, that in this pillar of fire, uh, in the in the same way that the Holy Spirit inhabits us and guides us, that God Himself inhabited this pillar of fire, this cloud of smoke, and He led the people out. Now, the fact that God leads the people, that God does not leave the people, but He leads the people, brings us two re really important reminders that I just want to lay before you. First, God's presence reminds us of our constant need. God's presence reminds us of our constant need. The people of Israel ne have not outgrown their need for God in this moment. You understand that? It's not as if in this moment that the, the plagues have happened and Egypt has set the people of Israel free and now they're just looking at God saying, hey God, that, that whole plague deal, that was great. Thank you for getting us free. We're good now. We can make it on our own. No, as a matter of fact, what we find is that even now that they're set free, they need God more than when they were in captivity. If they are going to make it to the promised land, they need God. Same is true for us. Once we meet God in Christ and we're saved, we don't, we don't outgrow our need for God. No, if we're going to make it all the way to heaven with, with Jesus Christ leading us, we need his presence more than ever. Here's what I want you to see. This is a reminder of our need because on our best day, we still need God. Let me give you a little illustration to kind of point out what I'm saying. Danny, my daughter, just turned six. Now, those of you who have been here since I've been here, can you believe that when I got here, she wasn't even two yet? Isn't that crazy? I got pictures of her from our first Sunday here, and, man, she's just looking at y'all like, man, y'all are the weirdest people. And y'all know what we figured out in the past four years? She was right the first day, right? <laughs> but, man, she's grown so much, and it's been such a joy to be able to have you guys see her grow. But let me just tell you, being a dad is probably, like, the funnest thing in my life. Like, I'm not saying it's, not, it's hard, right? It's not, it's not easy, but it's the funnest thing in my life. Like, I love watching them grow and, and getting to see them come into little people, and it's just getting better as they get older. I think maybe by the time they're 18, it's going to be awesome. Uh, but it, it's fun. Danny now is getting to the age at six where she doesn't really need me anymore. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Miss Independent. I don't need nobody. I don't need no help. I can do it myself, all right? That's her. Lately, she's been saying this phrase verbatim to me constantly. You go ahead. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> and she says it in the oddest places. For instance, in the parking lot. <laughs> you go ahead. I'll be there in a minute. She says it to me in stores. Danny, I'm going to go get some sour cream off of this aisle. You go ahead. I'll be there in a minute. She says it to me leaving home. Danny, let's go get in the car. You go ahead. I'll be there in a minute. Now, the problem with this is that Danny is six, and on her best day, if I left her to herself, she would make it five minutes. Because here's the deal. I don't trust someone who cannot consistently close the refrigerator door to walk across the Walmart parking lot. She needs somebody else to guide her. And here's what I want you to understand. We are the same way. That on our best day, if the presence of God does not guide our lives, we won't make it. We need Him. So we're reminded of our constant need, but God's presence also reminds us of His availability. 
I am amazed that God finds himself leading the people of Israel here. You don't know why this is so amazing to me? Think about who God has shown himself to be at this point. God has shown us thus far to be in control of everything. Like God's the kind of God who says, hey, Nile River that's made of water turned to blood, and guess what? The Nile River just turns to blood. It's crazy. God's the kind of God at this point who says, hey, there's, I'm just going to send a bunch of frogs, and I'm going to turn the, the sand into gnats, and I'm going to make flies, and whatever God says to happen, it just happens. He's the king of the universe, and where would we expect to find the king of the universe but sitting on a throne with angels singing glory to your name? But where do we find him? We find him in a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke leading the people of Israel out. And here's what that means. That though God is the king of the universe, he cares about people like you and me. You see, on our best day, we still need the presence of God in our life, but here's the good news. On our worst day, we still have the presence of God in our life. We are not alone. All of this good news leads me to the final way we see God's care in this passage. God's power makes the impossible a reality. God's power makes the impossible a reality. Let's finish putting together the story. Let's not leave off what happens. So at this point, what we've seen is that Egypt begins to, uh, Israel begins to exit Egypt by a somewhat awkward path. As they're exiting, Pharaoh begins to look and think that they're lost in the wilderness and that this is a perfect opportunity for him to go and catch them. Now, he doesn't realize at this moment that this is a trap, that God is setting a trap for him so that God can get glory over Pharaoh. At this point, the people of Israel don't realize it either but because as Pharaoh pursues, Pharaoh catches up to the people of Israel at the Red Sea. And now understand what's happening, that we have the, the Egyptian army pursuing Israel, then we have Israel, and then we have Israel trapped by the Red Sea, so that as Israel looks, they are hopeless. They, they have no hope of getting out of this alive. If, if the only shot, maybe by some chance, some of them can swim the ocean, or the sea, right, and make it out alive, they're done. But I love what happens here. God comes, you can find this in Exodus chapter 14, 13, and 14, and specifically verse 15. He comes to them, and basically he tells the people of Israel to quit whining. Now, why does he say that? He says that because church people were a lot different back then. They whined a lot. But he tells them to quit whining. Some of you got that. That was a joke. He tells them to quit whining and go forward. Why are you crying? Go. And in this moment, he does something completely impossible. He parts the Red Sea so that the people of Israel walk through, the Bible says, on dry ground. Now, I want you to understand, I don't think that phrase, dry ground, is a figure of speech. I think it really means that where there was a sea, God made a wind blow so strong that the sand that the people of Israel walked through on was dry. How do I know that? Because as the people of Egypt pursued in their chariots, evidently, the people of Egypt pursued in their chariots, and they got to the Red Sea, and as they looked, they looked, and the ground was so dry that the people who drove the chariots, the charioteers, the soldiers, thought to themselves, I think we can catch them if we take the chariots through to try to catch them. And listen, any, char any charioteer, anybody who drew, drew, who drew over a chariot for the military knew this. You don't take chariots on wet ground. Why? Because they'll get stuck, they're heavy, they'll sink, and they won't be able to make it through. 
So get what God has done in this moment. The power of God has been so explicit that where there was a sea, it's dry land. He's done the impossible. The people of Egypt pursue the people of Israel right on in. And as they come, and as they're dry land, they come through on dry land, it begins to soften, and their wheels begin to stick, and God throws the horses into a panic, and all of a sudden, where there was dry land, there is sea, and the people of Egypt are ended. And here's what we know. Israel walked through on dry land, and Egypt was destroyed. The implication for you and me here is so clear. That God's power in this world is not bound. And this powerful God, listen, He cares for you. We're, suppo- we're meant to read this story and walk away saying, God, I will live a life that is completely dependent upon you. The, the, the kind of moral of this story is that God, the kind of thing that we're supposed to sit in is that God, if you're that powerful, and you can do even this, and you care about me this much, God, there's not an area of my life that I won't give to you. We're supposed to, in dependence, say, God, you can have it all because this is the kind of God you are. And now I want you to understand, church, this powerful God, He's already worked for you spiritually. He's worked for you spiritually because when you were hemmed in by the Red Sea of death, sin, and hell, God parted the Red Sea and came to you in the power of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection on the cross. So that if you are not a Christian, you can have the gift of eternal life today, not because you have done anything, but because God has the power to part the Red Sea and the power to raise the dead to life again. So would you come today to the God who parted the sea for salvation? Don't wait any longer. You've been coming for a while and you know that this Jesus thing is for real, but you've never gone all in with the person who parted the Red Sea, the person who died on the cross for your sins. Would you come today? At the end of the service, I'll be out front. I would love to pray with you about that. I'd love to follow up with you sometime during the week about that. I would love to talk to you about how Jesus Christ can give you the gift of eternal life. But for those of us in the room who are Christians already, And for those of us in the room who find themselves in difficult paths, I want you to realize that this story also implores us, it begs us not only to live dependent upon God spiritually, but to live dependent upon God practically. That we are meant to be the kind of people who in every area of our life, in every day of our life, live in such a way to say, God, I trust you, the same God who parted the Red Sea to deliver the people of Israel. I trust you to take care of me. This is why I ask, how would your life be different if you believe that God cared for you and has the power to take care of you? Man, I have been living in this question this week. And it was one of those things, man, I didn't even really mean to get into this this week. And God just, God laid it on my doorstep, right? 
and I'm looking at my life, and I'm looking at, at, at God, this situation, I don't know how I'm going to handle it. God, this situation, I'll be honest, I feel powerless to take care of it. God, this situation, that don't add up. What am I supposed to do? And I've been dealing with this question over and over and over again. Dallas, how would your life be different if you believe that God cared about you and has the power to take care of you? What situation are you currently facing that you need God to meet today? Is money too tight this morning? The ends are not meeting? Right, and you, you've done the Dave Ramsey, man. You sit down and you've budgeted and you've tried to figure out where, what's going to go to where, and it's just not there. Here's what I want you to know this morning. God cares and God can. Is your marriage falling apart? Like, man, you just don't think it's going to make it, and you've been trying for so hard and, and so long, and, and, man, if you're honest right now, you're just like ships passing in the night, and you don't know if there's any hope for God to get you back to where you once were. Let me tell you this. God cares and God can. Do you have a wayward child? that's running hard from God, that doesn't care anything about church, that doesn't want anything to do with this whole Jesus scene, here's what I want you to know. God cares and God can. Do you have a sickness that the doctors have left little hope for? Do you have grief that will not move forward? Are you facing a situation where you have no hope? Here's what I want you to know. God cares and God can. What's your situation? The power that parted the sea is available to you and me. Would you live depending on Him? If the Spirit leads, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. If the Spirit leads you, I've asked the band to play at a lower volume to allow for two things. Maybe you need to come down to this this stage and, and, and let it serve as an altar where you can get on your knees and pray to God and say, God, this is what's going on in my life. I depend on you. I need help. Would you do that this morning? Or maybe you just need to stay seated in your chair for just a few minutes and to say, God, thank you for taking care of a sinner like me. If the Spirit leads, would you do one of those two things and worship for the next few minutes? Would you let God ask God to do what only He can do? Pray with me. Lord, I am thankful, God, in all honesty, that the third time of preaching this message is over. Because, dear Lord, this is such a real and heavy topic that we would become the kind of people who say, God, you're in control. And God, I'm not strong enough, I'm not powerful enough, I'm not good enough, but God, you care and you can and I will live depending on you. So Lord, I just pray that if, that's, if it's possible by the power of your Spirit, would you work that into your people right here, right now? If someone needs to come and do business with you, would you see to it that they do it? For the rest of us, would you help us to sit and worship and say, thank you for taking care of a sinner like me. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.